What? College matters. What? College, college matters. matters. Really? For sure. College matters. Alma, Alma matters. matters. I would I would say the the one thing that kind of pains me a bit in in the in the discussion on renewable energy is that it often falls on the the shoulders of of or on the ears of, of folks that it, it must be a STEM field or something like this, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Right. And, and, and I, I think that's a fallacy that, that probably will, will something we're going to pay for in the, in the future when all the folks who may not be in STEM essentially checks out of the renewable energy arena. That is Mads Almasalki associate professor in electrical engineering and the director of the control and optimization renewable energy systems lab at the university of vermont hello i'm your host venkatraman today's episode is on renewable energy in our special podcast series on college majors to serve as a primer for high schoolers renewable energy has become an existential challenge of our times how do we power our daily needs in a way that the sources of that power do not diminish or deplete so as to deprive future generations? Professor Mads Almasalki joins us on our podcast to give us an introduction to renewable energy through the lens of technology. In this podcast, Professor Almasalki first explains what renewable energy is and then takes us through a brief history of renewable energy, the technology underpinnings, hot areas of research, the preparation needed to study renewable energy in college, and the available opportunities when you graduate. So, without further ado, here is Professor Almasalki. First of all, Mads, uh, it's great to have you on this podcast. I am really looking forward to this topic. Uh, personally as well. Uh, I think uh, talking about renewable energy and what high schoolers of today might be able to do for tomorrow, I think is a very exciting topic. And it's great to have you, a pioneer in this area, to talk to us. So welcome, welcome to the podcast. Um, Thank you, Venkat. Sure thing. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I thought what we could do is sort of in some sort of a primer form, just go through some of the highlights of um, renewable energy so that a listener can get an idea of what it's all about and hopefully uh, inspire them to pursue this area. Um, so maybe we can start at the top with what is renewable energy? What, what does it all mean? Yeah, so renewable energy has become a hot topic recently, and maybe it's good to define it before we discuss it too much. Right. Um, and so renew renewable energy is kind of in the name. Uh, yeah. It's an energy source that is renewable, uh -huh. uh, and usually that means it's not a fossil fuel. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something you can dig out of the ground for which there is a finite resource. Uh, mm -hmm. In some cases, even if it's finite, it could be a lot of it. Um, mm -hmm. But in the but in the case of, for example, wind and solar, mm -hmm. um, or wave energy, um, sure. those resources are renewable and replenished uh, mm -hmm. when the sun rises, when the wind blows, and uh, when the waves come in. Mm -hmm. 
And so in that sense, you know, those are kind of the core renewable energy resources that we, we think of and debate and discuss and, and, and hear about very often is really solar and wind. And, and sometimes you hear about wave energy, but I actually forgot to mention, you know, the first, the earliest and uh, um, the role of hydro. Yeah. Um, hydro reservoirs and, and hydropower, uh, which of course is also a renewable energy source. So how does this all fit in the general uh, academic uh, arena? I mean, in sense, um, how do we think of it? Can we categorize it, classify it? How does one sort of get, hang their hat on this, so to speak? So that, I think that's a very good question. Um, so I think if you talk to mechanical engineers, they'll say they're the ones who deal with renewable energy. Uh-huh. When you talk to electrical engineers, they'll say they're the ones that deal with renewable energy. And when you talk to civil and environmental engineers, they'll tell you that they do renewable energy. Right. And the fun, funny thing is, is no one is lying. Right. Um, and so renewable energy is, you know, a multidisciplinary topic it's a topic mm-hmm. you can approach from many different angles even mm-hmm. outside of engineering sure um, and so you know within an ac- academic framework it you know it, it really can come from anywhere and I, and I haven't even talked about you know psychology it could come from economics those of us or those students who enjoy political science can into renewable energy uh, mm-hmm. within an academic context and so I you know it, I think it fits everywhere um if you want to pursue it, uh, right. And so, so yeah, that would be my general answer. And then, outside of sort of engineering, you mentioned uh, obviously some of these areas. How does one think of in the larger context of um, a society or governments and governance? Right. How does all this kind of fit in? Are the policies and other things? How, how do you see all that? Yeah, so, so when, I, when I teach, uh, so I, I teach electrical engineering right. um, and, and I, I teach a couple of undergraduate courses in power and energy, what uh, renewable energy involves. Right. And, and there we have, you know, physics are important when you study renewable energy or can be. Right. Yeah. Engineering is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, behave, human behavior is important. Mm-hmm. Um, um, some of the trickiest problems to solve are not necessarily technical problems, but really human problems. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so almost regardless of where you are, you hear, like, uh, you hear topics like um, wind farms, where should they be, be placed? You hear right. topics around solar PV arrays, where should they be placed? And it, sometimes you have local opposition to renewable energy projects. Mm-hmm. And that's when it becomes the job of politicians and you know, local community activists to slowly, kindly, and in a humanly friendly fashion, the benefits near-term and long-term from having these renewable plants. And then they should be constructed in a manner that, is, uh, that recognizes uh, that folks who live too close to wind turbines may have annoying sounds and people who live very close to wind turbines may, uh, sorry, solar arrays uh, may be bothered by the kind of cool, sleek blackness that that wind, that solar PV arrays do offer. Um, but right. not everyone likes the same art. No, not everyone likes <laughs> the same renewable energies. You know, left versus right, or green versus blue, or whatever you want to call it, it's not really yeah. helpful. And so, if we want to solve big societal problems, we have to have a place and, and a venue where we can discuss things. And 
the classroom is often one place where I think, at least in my classroom, where you can certainly do so. What's the history of renewable energy? I mean, when did it roughly start? When did all this movement gain steam, so to speak? Um, <laughs> so what's, what's sort of your feel about uh, the last 50 years or however you want to characterize Yes, and, and so one of the earliest parts of the grid we know of today, the electricity infrastructure, uh, mm-hmm. was, was born out of, not out of fossil fuel plants, but really out of hydropower up in New York. So the Niagara Falls powered the first real grid in in the world, um, in New York, and that was kind of the beginning of power systems or energy systems as we know them today, or electricity infrastructure. Um, mm-hmm. And so, 150 years later, uh, now we're facing a problem where we're trying to make the grid renewable again. Um, uh huh. And um, so solar wind has been around for, you know, wind has been around for a long time. We used wind to, to mill our flour. Yeah. Um, we've been using the wind and, and wave uh, power or run of river power to, to power all kinds of agricultural purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the last in sixties, seventies, and eighties, when people talked about solar power, that was you know the hippie uncle in the middle of nowhere <laughs> using solar power to manage his or her whatever uh, lifestyle. And uh-huh. today, solar power has become cheek, and it's mm-hmm. you know it, it's, it's a thing that you do in California. It's a thing you do in in the quote unquote cool places. Um, you have Elon Musk, you know, right, talking about solar power. You have all kinds of folks talking about it today. So it's, it's been a 150 year journey and, uh, you know, it started renewable and now we're in a place where, you know, the next 10 years look to be the decade of renewable energy uh, as it grows year on year by incredible rates. Why is renewable energy important? Why are, you know, obviously there are lots of protests and there's a lot of resistance and friction. So why is it so important to move forward with this? So that's, I think that's a, that's a fair, fair question. Um, and, and for me, the answer is grounded in uh, the truth and the fact that is climate change. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I think we just had two weeks of, uh, I guess you would call it a circus called COP26 in Glasgow. Yes. Yeah. Where hundreds or maybe thousands of politicians and enthusiasts and other folks spend time discussing this exact topic. You know, how do we uh, mitigate the effects of climate change on this planet? Mm -hmm. And the overarching requirement is renewable energy integration. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have to get rid of fossil fuels, not just for electricity generation, but also for other sectors, agriculture, transportation, building industry. Mm-hmm. And so do you, how do we de- decarbonize as fast as possible to ensure that the planet we live on does not, ex- does not get too hot or, or basically damage the, the livelihood that we know of today? Mm-hmm. Renewable energy integration is the key driver to enable that change. Uh, and so what this means from, from at least my perspective yeah. and, and those of a number of scientists around the world is we need to integrate terawatts of renewable energy. If we do not do that, 
we will not be able to mitigate the change of uh, the climate change uh, going forward for the next couple of decades. And so, you know, is that important? I, I think there's, there's there are not many other problems more important uh, over the next couple of decades. Okay, I mean that that sounds fair. That sounds existential. So I think that's yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, I think I've seen uh, there are a couple of cartoons that show you know the COVID has been kind of a I think a sh global shock. Yeah. To to our social systems, to our democratic systems, to human systems right and there there's been a lot of discussion of you know covid is kind of a the way we respond to dealing with covid as an existential threat yeah. is something we have to do pretty quickly right? so we had one or two years of, with covid we found a vaccine we've been combating the effects of covid yeah. you know climate change is not really that different it's a global challenge we need a global solution we need people to come together for a common cause i don't know if there's a vaccine for climate change but <laughs> We need something similar, yeah. And the 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 benefit we have is that climate change, fortunately, is a slowly changing, yeah, uh, pattern. And so we do have maybe ten years to solve what's a, a much bigger challenge than COVID, unfortunately. Uh, and so the hope is that we can do so, and and we don't wait until uh, last second. So let's sort of dive in and. Um, talk a little bit about how renewable energy, at least from the academic and technology side, is constructed um, or configured or part of or organized uh, from your point of view. Yeah, so renewable energy technologies, um, it, it's, a, it's a beautifully broad area. Um, yeah. And so, so if you're interested in physics, there are lots of opportunities where you can you know, work on fundamental basic science or even learn mm -hmm. about fundamental physics, right? So if you're interested in semiconductor areas, you're interested in fundamental physics, there, is, yeah. there are startup companies, there are large companies, and there are technologies to develop based on cool stuff happening in physics today. Um, mm -hmm. And so I would, I would say there's a, a, an area in fundamental science, you know, physics, mm -hmm. chemistry, uh, biology as well, where mm -hmm. there's a need, there's a need, there's know-how and there's an opportunity. So mm -hmm. that, that would definitely be one area, fundamental science. There's a, a separate area so I'll call the systems science. So where you, yeah. you may deal with, with signals, but those signals may not be physical signals, mm -hmm. but it could be communication signals. They could be mm -hmm. um, basically the way that sensors and actuators and, and devices communicate and interact with each other in a system. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so that's gonna be necessary as we move towards automation as we move towards improvement or optimizing our systems, how we utilize resources, we're gonna need what's called system scientists, uh, sure. which have a engineering background or a mathematics background or a data science background mm -hmm. who, who help us automate the systems that we are building. Mm -hmm. 
And so you can think of those as maybe that maybe they are at the, the highest view of things, whereas the basic sciences are really, you know, in the in the weeds, in the details of the individual sure. components. Uh -huh. So between the basic sciences and the system science, so the basic science basically deals with folks who develop the technology necessary to build the cool new components. And mm -hmm. system science deals with how these components interact across networks, whether sure. those networks are wireless, wired, physical, or abstract uh, generalizations of networks. Mm -hmm. And so in between, you have all kinds of engineers, um, mm -hmm. electrical, mechanical, civil, environmental, all kinds of engineers who built on the interfaces between these, these different components. Got it. And so, so in that sense, I would say there are kind of three uh, broad areas within renewable energy technology. Fundamental, basic science. There are the system scientists looking at automation. And then in between are the interfacers, the folks who interconnect the different devices. Um, and that, that would be my broad definition of renewable energy technology. So would you, would you think of the interfaces as applied sciences, if you will? Yeah, you know. that's right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And, and those interfaces could be, you know, in the simplest terms, you know, you, you're connecting batteries or solar PV to the grid itself. Mm -hmm. That could be an electrician. Sure. Um, it could also be electrical engineers developing the controls that sit on a battery. Uh, it could be it could be all kinds of, of, of educations, college degrees. Uh, there's not one degree you can get if you want to get into renewables and if you miss the boat, you're done for good. There, there's, there are many, many paths to renewable energy. What, what are the challenges? I mean, what are some of the hot developments? I call it hot, but what are some of the mm -hmm. uh, key developments that in renewable energy over the last decade and what are sort of the challenges um, from a research and development point of view in that area as well? So, so I think, you know, I will give you my perspective and that there are many, many, I would say, hot areas sure. In, in, sure. This, in this part. Uh, one of the really hot areas is energy storage. Yeah. And, and so we are pretty well aware of, you know, so Tesla has made you yeah. know, residential batteries uh, a commercial entity and you can go and you can buy them or rent them from a utility. Mm hmm um, but those kind of batteries are not the only thing we'll need because they can only store energy for about, they can only provide energy for about four hours. What is a current really hot, to current really hot topic is seasonal storage. Mm. So we all kind of know that the sun shines uh, during the day and then it doesn't shine at night and you can't really do anything about that. Right. And so how do you transfer energy that's being generated during the day to the night uh, mm -hmm. is, is a problem we have more or less figured out. Yeah. You can buy a couple store, a couple batteries, lithium ion perhaps, and you could then realistically use those batteries overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, but what do you do from season to season? So the, the wind tends to blow on a, on a seasonal basis. Yeah. Um, and you get more sunshine in the summer than you do in the winter in the Northern hemispheres. And so how do you shift energy, not just from day to day, but really season to season? Mm -hmm. And that requires energy technology right now that is uh, 
unexplored at the scale necessary to solve climate problems. Mm-hmm. And so there's some really exciting, um, really exciting companies starting to pop out uh, in this field. And the Department of Energy is really trying to invest in this area as well. So long-term or seasonal energy storage is one key area. The other key area um, is related to the notion of shifting energy in time, but is thinking about this from a global perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so luckily we have time zones. Yep. And so even though it's night where I'm sitting right now in Copenhagen, and you talked about your beautiful blue skies, <laughs> what that means is that even though you and I are on the same, we are speaking at the same point in time, and we're just different times of day. Yeah. What would be really cool would be if I had a wire, perhaps a very, very long wire, that yeah. went from my, my apartment in Copenhagen to your apartment or your house in California. What would happen is that that solar panel in California right now is hopefully yeah. shining. Yeah. So the sun is shining on the solar panel that you, you're then providing and you could then ship power to me yep. right now. Yeah. And so, so that idea of a global grid, uh, so that's, that would be a high voltage DC power global grid, but that yeah. notion of a global grid can really change the way we think of renewable energy because that would mean the sun shines at any given time on the planet mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. If we could, if we could connect these time zone based solar array stations, wind farms together across the globe, we could supply the whole world at any given time. And so even though it's nighttime in Copenhagen right now, the sun in California could provide power in Europe. And, and that idea of a global grid is a very hot topic. Uh, it's certainly you know, hot within the research area, but there are also some serious political and policy challenges to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that would be another hot topic. Uh, then there are a couple other topics. So you know, seasonal storage is kind of, you can think of it like a component. It's a massive battery of some sort. Mm-hmm. Global grids are a massive network or an infrastructure project. Right. The systems challenges that we are facing that also are represent some of the hottest topics today are renewable energy integration. So mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier that we will need terawatts of renewable energy to be integrated into our grids. Right. So that's in the US. Um, that alone is going to require significant rethinking of how we manage the grid itself, which is you know, a phenomenal infrastructure itself. And how we manage it means, you know, what are the, the operation, operationally, how should we uh, think about the role of generation or where does the energy come from and how we consume it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that brings about, you know, renewable systems integration, brings about the need for flexibility in the grid which brings about the need for automation, um, connectivity of devices. So, so having smart devices that can realize when the energy is cheap or clean or available uh, and can then consume energy on a smart basis. So your hot water heater, your air conditioner, your electric vehicle charger soon. Uh, all these devices have the smarts to enable them to respond and adapt their consumption patterns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. based on the availability of clean, renewable, or cheap energy. And so the, that's kind of the third challenge is the systems integration 
or flexibility uh, that we need to add to the grid of today to ensure that it can support the renewables that are coming. So those, those are the three, certainly the three hot areas I would mention, going back, seasonal storage, a global grid, and systems integration, automation, and flexibility. Awesome. Those would be the, the three challenges that I focus on. There are tons of other challenges across many different domains that I didn't mention. So just to be clear that if someone didn't hear something they're interested in, that would certainly, um, there are so many different ways that, that uh, we can push the frontier to, to um, develop better, uh, cleaner and greener systems. How do you go about um, you know, engaging with this so that you can do this kind of research or build these kind of products or components? Um, what do I need as a high schooler to, to study? What should I be good at? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So the, you know, kind of going back to the fact that a lot of public discourse has unfortunately devolved into this, you know, for or against black and white absolutism. Right. And so the, the please, when every, anyone wants to do anything, doesn't really matter if it's renewable energy or not, what they should be good at is communicating effectively. Okay. And, and so, you know, I, I sometimes I start my class, which is an engineering class, Right. And I start with a very basic question. What is a kilowatt hour? Uh -huh. And some people will sit there and they'll convert kilowatt hour to joules and tell me how many joules it is. Yeah. But then I say, fundamentally, what is a kilowatt hour? And if we're talking about renewable energy, uh, you know, in a good engineer, a good scientist, you have to be able to communicate. And so what I tell them all the time is go home, go to your parents, your grandparents, whoever it is that you hang out with, ask them, what is a kilowatt hour? See what answers they get. And what you'll see is that almost no one really knows what a kilowatt hour is. Mm -hmm. And therein lies our fundamental problem. There is not enough awareness of what a kilowatt hour is. So the first skills anyone needs in, in my classes is we need to be able to communicate what is a kilowatt hour. Because if people don't know, they won't care. Yeah. And so, so, you know, first be good at communicating, whatever that is, you know, sure. communicate renewable energy, communicate whatever position you have and communicate that effectively. You know, focusing a little bit more on the renewable energy within engineering. Yeah. Um, it, there are some things you can't avoid. Um, Math and physics are fundamental mm -hmm. uh, to almost everything we do, whether you're civil, mechanical, or electrical. And mm -hmm. so it, you can't hide from the math and the physics. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you have to be able to be a better calculator than your, you don't have to be able to calculate things better than your calculator. Mm -hmm. um, we have developed technologies that help engineers focus more on creative solutions and less on being computers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so having a, strong foundation in math and physics is necessary, but you don't have to be a you know, super fast, uh, be able to solve stuff in your head super fast. That's not necessary anymore. Sure. And, and so when kids come to, my, come to my class and say, oh, I'm not good at math, then I say, that's because you're trying to compare yourself against a calculator. And, <laughs> then, and you can ask a calculator any question you want, right? A calculator can only do what you tell it to do. Yeah. Uh, 
we need engineers who can figure out what they need to do themselves. They need to ask the right questions and push the boundary and be creative. Mm-hmm. Um, but but m- having a good foundation in, in math and physics is still very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I, I think that's the, that's the thing you can't hide from. Uh, it's, yeah. it's math and physics. It pops up everywhere. You know, even as you move into your senior year of, of college, you know, you're going to be trying to, in my classes, trying to automate something or trying yeah. to optimize some kind of system behavior. And those are code, the coding, you need to be able to code. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're going to need to build algorithms and those algorithms will depend on maths and your models will depend on physics. Mm-hmm. And we can't avoid those. And so what can you do if you're a freshman? You know, focus on the math and the physics and learn how to code. Uh, that way you can tell computers what to do. And that's a very sure. powerful way, way to, to solve engineering problems. And this is actually something I had from a, a former colleague of mine. Sure. Um, so he was an undergraduate in one of my classes. And then later mm-hmm. on, we hired him uh, for the startup company that I have um, been working with for the last five years. Yeah. And he was phenomenal. So his name was Andrew Giro. Mm-hmm. He was phenomenal at tinkering and solving engineering problems with his hands, which means, you know, he could take a piece of hardware, code it up and interface it with something else and code it up and get it all to all working together. Mm-hmm. So he was really fantastic at kind of turning hardware and software together into engineering solutions. Mm-hmm. And so I've had many discussions with him in the past, you know, being good at math and physics is one way to do things. You can solve a lot of problems by going through math and physics, but mm-hmm. as an engineer, in the end, you're going to have to get stuff working yeah. in front of you in some way some physical device or, or another. And so the way you do that, especially in your freshman year, is you tinker. Yeah. Um, you can go online, you can buy super cheap uh, you know, Arduinos, you can buy super cheap programmable logic devices, mm-hmm. and you can, you can and buy sensors, you can buy all these small things for tens of dollars. And you could sit and you could coat them up in your, in your dorm room, you can cope it up in your bedroom, and you can get stuff talking to each other. And that practice is something not every class offers, but it's mm-hmm. something that every engineer will need. Uh, it's, a, it's a skill that's really powerful. Um, and so I think the, the, the topic is Internet of Things is something that has, yeah. is surrounding us these days quite a bit. And, and being an active participant in the Internet of Things can be really powerful. And so, you know, communications, math and physics, algorithms and software, and tinkering is really important. Uh, and sure. I would also say that the, when it comes to problem solving, there are many problems to solve. And yes. those five, if you're good at communicating, if you're good at math and physics, if you're good at software algorithms, or if you just have a knack for tinkering, you can solve many problems with any of these four skills. Once they come to college, um, they take their the courses, and if they decide to take the engineering route, whichever branch of engineering, um, is there a is there a way, um, or is that are there courses that 
take them into renewable energy or is it something that happens after um, you get close to graduating or uh, when, how, how exactly does that sort of seep into the thinking? That's an excellent question. Um, so I can give you uh, just from my own experiences. Um, mm -hmm. So I was an undergrad in 2003 mm -hmm. until 2008 at the University mm -hmm. of Cincinnati mm -hmm. in Ohio. Yeah. At that, at that time, as far as I know, there was no course on renewable energy offered at all. Mm -hmm. uh, which meant when I graduated as an electrical engineer, I had never taken a power systems an energy course. Yeah. Um, then when I went to graduate school at Michigan mm -hmm. in 2008, mm -hmm. you know, I have never as a graduate student taken a power and energy course. Mm. And that's because when I joined in 2008, the University of Michigan, there was no power and energy program. There was no power systems program hmm. because, you know, all the smart minds in the U.S. had figured out that um, since we had no real problems with the grid or the electricity infrastructure for a number of years, <laughs> there was obviously yeah. no need for people to be experts in power systems or energy systems. Right. And so there basically was well, electrical engineering basically went without power and energy programs in many places for 25 years. Some schools huh. maintained their programs, of course. And then what happened was the big blackout in 2003 right. in New York uh, and other consecutive events made universities realize that those electrical engineering programs that didn't have power and energy needed to ramp those up quickly. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of hiring in 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, mm -hmm. all the way to 2015, where educated, PhD educated, Electric engineers started building out these power and energy programs, which at University of Vermont, uh, we also did in 2006 7. Mm -hmm. And then the question became where does renewable energy fit into the curriculum? Mm -hmm. in, uh, at the University of Vermont, we have made it uh, one of our core paths for electrical engineers to get a chance to take power and energy courses in their second year. Mm. And, and this, this, we, this we offer through basically two different routes. One is uh, what we offer as a low carbon energy uh, mm -hmm. course where we focus mm -hmm. on low carbon energy technologies, mm -hmm. solar, wind, uh, hydro, but also uh, nuclear power. Mm -hmm. And then we also follow up with kind of a more traditional uh, electric energy system analysis course where we focus on machines and drives, transformers, uh, the grid itself. And we give kind of a student an understanding of, you know, what does it mean if you have a photon from the earth, from the sun mm -hmm. making its way onto the, to the earth impacts a solar PV panel that then displaces a, a um, electron and then starts to cause basically a, uh, a grid to be affected by that photon. And so mm -hmm. we make that whole journey from, from the sun to the panel to the grid and, and talk about all the physics involved in that. Yeah. Um, so a little more, I would say, traditional power systems course. Um, yeah. But that's, that's available for second-year students. Mm. And we've built a whole track around renewable energy now at the University of Vermont. Um, 
other schools, I think they start and they, they kind of treat renewable energy as an elective. Yeah. So you see those in your third and fourth year as an undergrad. Let's say someone stops at the undergrad level with um, expertise in renewal, renewable energy. What are the different types of career opportunities for them? Yeah, so, so since there are many paths to renewable energy, there are also many career opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. some, of the, a, some of the students that I've worked with um, mm-hmm. uh, have gone on to, to take on jobs as data scientists for mm-hmm. companies that build um, algorithms mm-hmm. that charge or manage large fleets of electric vehicles. I have had students who went to Vermont for an undergrad and then left for Sweden mm-hmm. for their master's degree. And now they're working uh, basically on electricity markets, mm-hmm. uh, basically selling, bidding energy contracts from hydro mm-hmm. facilities. I have other students, students now managing uh, uh, technology portfolios at major utilities. And uh, I have other students yet that kind of have more of an, a clear R&D focus, uh, kind of continuing the path of, of R&D in some sense or another around renewable systems integration. The paths are so numerous. Um, I have had fantastic conversations with lawyers mm-hmm. who work on behalf of uh, startup companies in the renewable energy sector. We have hired uh, phenomenal uh, data science and visualization uh, engineers who started out as artists and just Mm. found out that they could turn their artistic skills into visualization skills for data set, large data sets. There there are so many paths, Venkat, I I don't even know when when to stop and start. I would, I would say the, the one thing that kind of pains me a bit in, in, the, in the discussion of renewable energy is that it often falls on the, the shoulders of, of or on the ears of, of folks that it, it must be a STEM field or something like this, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Right. And, and, and I, I think that's a fallacy that, that probably will, will something we're going to pay for in the, in the future when all the folks who may not be in STEM essentially checks out of the renewable energy arena. And mm-hmm. so I, I think there's an, there's an, the onus or the responsibility is really on us in the STEM area to attract folks and, and help them understand that if you're not in STEM, there are still paths for you in which you can help solve some of these very challenging problems. Uh, and, and specifically in that regard, we're actually trying to, I'm actually supposed to be creating a new course here next year uh, that is targeting broadly a non-STEM um, set of students to think about energy systems from a board game perspective. So we're going to take this course, we're going to build a board game. Mm-hmm. And in the process of building a board game, we're going to learn about the different levers that exist and the different incentives and the different mechanisms in which renewable energy systems can be played against each other. Um, and so the, the tough decisions that grid operators have to make is something we can turn into a game. Um, if you want to, to answer the question, you know, what is a kilowatt hour? Uh, we're going to answer that question through games. 
so that designing a game doesn't require an engineering degree. It, is, it requires problem-solving skills, creativity, and the ability to communicate. And so we're trying to leverage these fundamental assets that make you a successful problem solver uh, and tilting them towards renewable energy challenges. And, and so we're hoping that we can impact not just our STEM you know, cousins, but also folks that are not in STEM who have a chance to, to impact um, the renewable energy sphere. And so that's, that's something I'm really excited about and, and something that, that does pop into my head that we, we focus a lot on STEM, but that's actually not the only place where people can, can participate. No, I think, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think um, at the end of the day, uh, everybody has a vested interest in making this work, uh, and they may not know it, and they may not be aware of it, but, um, uh, and I think uh, educating them, or, you know, somehow exciting them about it is, is, is a great idea. And yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And- so, Mads, I thought... Um, unless you want to add anything more, I, I kind of thought we could talk a little bit about how you got into this and uh, a little bit about yourself. Uh, so on my, I guess my personal journey. Yeah. Um, and so for a person who's never taken a course in power systems or energy systems as a student, how did I end up being a professor in power and energy systems? Yes. Uh, that's a good question. And, and so this, this actually was because of my, so I, my, in graduate school, um, in graduate school, you have to take a number of courses mm-hmm. uh, to satisfy, you know, some, some requirements on a qualifying exam or comprehensive exams or something like this. Mm-hmm. And after you take courses, you have about three years, you focus on research. Mm-hmm. And so those two years where I took courses, there were really no power and energy programs offered at Michigan, as I mentioned earlier. And so I took courses elsewhere. I took math courses. I took uh, control theory courses. I basically focused on all the tools necessary to do automation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually started my research in the area of uh, self-driving cars and how mm-hmm. to avoid collisions with human drivers. Uh-huh. And so my, my background, my interest in research came from automation. I wanted to automate systems so that they yeah. work better for humans. Uh, I just so happened to fall into the lap of, of a PhD advisor in graduate school who worked on power and energy systems. And mm-hmm. so my interest and in course background in automation fell you know, into you know, what can we do with power and energy systems? And I remember meeting with them first, the first time, my advisor. Yeah. And I sent an email, email here to one of my, my friends and I said, ah, you know this power and energy stuff? I I don't think it's for me. Uh-huh. And that was since I think first first year of grad school or something like this. Right. And now and now I sit, you know, tenured professor in power and energy <laughs> systems. And the reason I'm here is because power and energy systems are fantastic and rich systems. Um, and, and let me explain why why what I mean by fantastic and rich systems. Sure. So like, as, as I mentioned earlier, this notion of a global grid, yeah. um, it is no surprise that the electricity infrastructure we utilize today spans continents. Mm-hmm. Right? The electric grid in the U.S. spans the entire continent mm-hmm. of North America. Yeah. We are dealing with, fo- with electrons traveling across wires almost at the speed of light. Mm-hmm. 
That means we deal with a machine that's the size of a continent and moves at the speed of light. That is just a phenomenal system. Yeah. It is operated not at the speed of light, obviously, because humans can't make decisions that fast, yeah. nor can computers necessarily. But it is operated at many different timescales. And so the, the grid that we see today exhibits many different types of behavior depending on which timescales you focus on. Yeah. You, can, you, you can look at very fast timescales in the order of seconds, milliseconds, and you can see beautiful sinusoids traveling the length of, of conductors. And you can kind of zoom out a little bit and you can look at, at the minutes and the hours and the days and the months and the years for planning problems. Mm-hmm. And each of those problems have a sequence of interesting, challenging uh, paths that you can take and questions you can answer. And it, it is a rich system in both terms of space, the mm-hmm. spatial context, the mm-hmm. temporal context. And so it's a beautiful spatial temporal system that just continues to elicit interesting behaviors. And so I have not, after roughly 10 years of work focusing on this area, I have not gotten bored yet. Um, it's, it's a renewable energy as a system, it's a beautiful system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm here, even though I didn't start in, in power energy systems, but I am certainly wonderfully happy to be in it. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it is. It is truly. It's amazing. What's amazing is that it works. I mean, it's you know, I'm, I'm I can sit here, and I can turn on or off my light bulb. Yeah. And what's re- what's really cool is that you know, the, the fact that I change the demand on and off the light. You're actually changing demand, and that yeah. change is felt at a, you know, a large regional part of the U.S. or in this case Europe. Yeah. Is feeling is actually you can you can if you had a very very good sensor you can actually see the effect of this very little change, it changes the frequency on the network it it, it forces generators to adapt, it it's a beautiful system. Um, yeah, and it's also extremely complex and and highly nonlinear and there's there are so many things to look at and, and so many interesting questions to ask and all we need are people who can communicate and be problem solvers. But how did you realize that this was for you? What was it that, um, in, you know, made you feel that you would be good at it, that you would be, you know, proficient at it? That's a good, so that's, that's a good question. Uh, how did I realize I was good at it? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I have... I have always been reasonably, I have always enjoyed solving problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, I, what I have realized is that the, the renewable energy systems or power and energy systems, they just have so many interesting problems that, that I enjoy working on. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, so maybe, maybe what I realized, so when I finished my PhD, actually during mm-hmm. my PhD, I, I started mm-hmm. consulting for a startup company uh, that mm-hmm. didn't exist quite yet. So it yeah. was in the, I guess you would call it stealth mode. Right. Uh, and so we were, we were raising money and, and, and I joined it as a consultant while I was a PhD student. Mm-hmm. And there, what I worked on was a very, was a pure application, a very practical implementation of some of the algorithms that I had developed in my PhD. Mm-hmm. 
And what I realized was that I had learned a lot during my PhD. I'd taken courses, of course, but I also done a lot of research. And mm-hmm. when you do research, you basically teach yourself stuff. Right. And what I realized, what the old stuff I'd learned wasn't just between me and my advisor, my PhD advisor, but actually something I could use in the real world. Mm-hmm. And so we had, um, so I developed these algorithms as a PhD student. They were implemented by the startup company for which I consulted. And they actually showed to save something like $150,000 in energy savings from a university in the Midwest. Hmm. And when that happened, so when I realized that my algorithms, which were just me trying to do my best, actually saved 150000 in energy savings for mm-hmm. a university in the Midwest, I realized that I could actually do stuff. I could impact the world. Yeah. Uh, or at least I could have a positive impact on the world um, with the knowledge I had to date. And that made me really excited about having and making an impact. Um, as I mentioned earlier, power and energy systems are rich systems, which you can always see. You, know, you can always dig, 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 dig and find interesting mathematical problems. Mm-hmm. But what I learned during my PhD through this consulting gig was that I really enjoyed working on problems that had a real world impact. And so, and so after my PhD, I had postdoc offers to join MIT. I had postdoc offers to, to go to ETH in Zurich. I had postdoc offers from a bunch of other places. And I ended up not going to any of those postdocs. Um, mm-hmm. I joined that startup company that I had consulted for. Mm-hmm. Um, and people always ask me, you know, if you, would you do it again if you had the chance? And I learned so much about myself doing that. And I learned about what it means to have an impact. I had fantastic discussions with MBA graduates um, who think differently than engineers. And so I I learned enormous amounts from hanging out with Um, non-engineers. And so I think from that point on, I probably knew I was pretty good at what I did. Um, And I really enjoyed having an impact. I think that was what, that's what motivates me is, I want to have an impact. I don't just want to do science for the sake of science because there are enough people picking at their belly buttons, um, which is a Danish expression for, for kind of being stuck on something. Um, is this, you know, you're at the forefront of all this. Um, what, what keeps you excited? I mean, uh, you mentioned 10 years later, you're still excited. Is it because you're solving big problems? Is it because you're good at it or is it a combination of things or the impact you're going to have? So I, I, I'm excited uh, because I, two reasons. One, I feel like my work matters. Mm -hmm. And that's of course, personally very satisfying and and very important to make sure that I can sit up at 1030 at night in Copenhagen and talk and talk to someone uh, in California about this exact topic. Yeah. Um, so I feel like my work matters. Yeah. And number two, um, it's in, like, like you said earlier, it's an existential, we, we are in an existential crisis. Yeah. We have a serious challenge in our hand and I'm fairly good at what I do. Uh, I really enjoy working with students on these problems. And in the past five years, we've had luck in, in making an impact. And so it is very exciting to feel like your work matters and being able to contribute to solving 
the overarching problem of renewable energy integration, which is climate change, which is climate change mitigation. Um, and so it's 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 exciting. It's super exciting. I, I, it's so exciting. I mean, next in two weeks or so, I'm going to give a talk at a digital tech conference in Copenhagen mm-hmm. on the 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 role of digitization in mm-hmm. in energy systems mm-hmm. and it's and this is going to be to a, a crowd of these are not just pure energy people these are digital tech folks both in bio in uh, biotech and all over the place and yeah. so it's 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 exciting that you know i get a, i get a chance to share some of the stuff i've been working on but also people are interested in this stuff and um yeah, it's an important problem. It's an important problem, and I feel like I contribute. I think that's the that's really the key. Absolutely, uh, no question. So, Mads, I'm going to um, start winding down so that you can get back. It's ten thirty in the night, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, getting into so much detail and giving a great sort of overview of the landscape of renewable energy and. I'm hoping that lots of high schoolers listen to this and get excited and join your effort and, uh, you know, leave the place, the earth, I mean, a better place for the next generation. So thank you so much. Thank you, Venkat, for making this possible. And and I really enjoyed our conversation. Definitely would be more fun in person, but technology has benefits also. Yeah, we'll definitely meet one of these days, I'm sure. But For now, take care and be safe. Bye-bye. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi again. Hope you enjoyed our podcast with Professor Mads Almasalki of the University of Vermont on renewable energy. Professor Almasalki gave us a great overview of renewable energy, why it's important, the opportunities, and what it takes to do undergraduate study. I hope this podcast inspires you to learn more about renewable energy. For your questions or comments on this podcast, please email podcast at almamatters.io with the subject line, Renewable Energy. Thank you all so much for listening to our podcast today. Transcripts for this podcast and previous podcasts are on almamatters.io forward slash podcasts. To stay connected with us, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or visit anchor.fm forward slash alma matters to check us out. Till we meet again, take care and be safe. Thank you. College Matters. Alma Matters. matters.